Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today we're talking all about tea. That's right, like coffee and tea, the beverage. The number one consumed beverage in the world after water. So I'm delighted to introduce Jenny J to the show. She is the founder and the CEO of Sipping Streams Tea Company, based in Fairbanks, Alaska. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. It's very, very nice to meet you. And I take it you're sitting in Fairbanks, Alaska. Is that right? Yes, I am. Well, technically standing because I'm very short. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're standing. Otherwise, we wouldn't see you or I wouldn't see you. <laughs> and you've been in Fairbanks as I've looked. I've done a little bit of research on you. It sounds like almost all of your life. Well, actually, I came to Fairbanks when I was a baby. I was a month and a half. So very, almost like not quite born, but definitely raised here in Alaska. So um, my whole life, except for five years, I went to college in Idaho. And do you ever wonder how Alaska has shaped you? Oh, I know exactly how Alaska has shaped me. That's why I came back after college. Um, It's, it's, I used to think that it was so strange for me to be a Chinese person growing up in Alaska who didn't fit in my regular extended family, who mostly now lives in Southern California, because I was just so different culturally. But I've really learned to embrace that. And tea was a medium to help me with my own self-identity, actually. For 16 years, you've run a tea company. I've never met anybody who's run a tea company before. Uh, And so I have some very basic questions for you. Uh, For instance, um, what are are the kinds of tea? I mean, does tea grow in a tree? And is there sort of one basic tea tree or are there lots of species or how does that work? So there's one basic plant called the Camellia sinensis. It's an evergreen tree that's grown all over the world, but it's originally from China. And and then it's also known in India and Japan and Taiwan. Um, But it's literally grown all over the world. It's an evergreen tree. And all of the tea, tea that you drink, like white tea, green tea, black tea, poor tea, is from that one plant and and from their hundreds of varietals. But they're all made from that one plant. And so uh, I want to talk about herbal separately, but but from that one plant are, are all these like you said, lots of different varieties within that. And I take it that your job is to is to go to different tree growing areas. And I, I think on your website, it showed Hawaii and India and China and to gather diff- and to gather different varieties and to bring them and to bring them back. So before COVID, I used to travel around the world to different places like India, China, Japan, and then I've built my networks of different people, different growers that I know. Um, Also being a presenter and speaker at the World Tea Expo. So I've built a lot of international um, connections and relationships. And so I source teas from literally around the world. But here in Fairbanks, Alaska, during COVID, we started our own tea farm that's all sustainably done. Yeah, I really want to. I really want to get into that a little later in the podcast because that's it's exciting what you're doing with the greenhouse and the and the geothermal. But then all the way all the way back to the sourcing of teas. So you're you obviously have become an expert. You must have a very very fine palate, right, or a fine sense of taste. 
to determine like which are the very best teas and how they would come together and blend together? I I mean, I, I have won 11 international awards for my teas, but I don't feel like I have a defined palette. Like people say I do, but I feel like, okay, so I used to be a teacher and a teacher is always learning and doesn't know everything. That's why they're a good teacher. And so I think as a tea specialist, I like to call myself a tea specialist instead of an sommelier because I want to designate that for the wine industry. But um, is that I've experienced a lot of different teas and I'm good at knowing what I'm looking for. And it just happens to be really good tea, I guess. (laughs) But I'm always learning and absorbing and experiencing more. So there's a lot of own personal development and growth through the experiences that I've had. And then these different kinds of teas or the different varietals are, have different benefits, right? So in South South Africa is rooibos, which is not from the Camellia sinensis plant, but it's only grown in South Africa. And it's a very powerful caffeine-free bush that has an extremely deep taproot and has a bunch of really powerful um, anti-inflammatory properties. And also with anti-inflammation, you have decreased um, issues of aging, brain cells aging, cells aging with that, right? So um, my background is actually not just education, but I also worked in sports medicine. So that was what my two careers were before I got into tea. And so I'm really interested in the science and the health benefits of tea. But then in Japan is originally, well, kind of controversial, but is where matcha is from. But technically, if you want to get really technical into the archaeological history, you can say matcha is from China, right? Because everything came from China originally. But Japan is known for um, its matcha. And that matcha green tea is from the Camellia sinensis plant. So you have two different plants. And then in South America, they're famous for yerba mate, which is a completely different plant that's really good for anti-anxiety, anti-depression, um, uh, anything that has to do with your nervous system. It's really good for it, even though it does have a ton of caffeine. So South America, all over South America is known for yerba mate. So those are the three most popular types of I guess you could call them tea, but they're technically not tea except for the Camellia sinensis plant. But everything else is steeped in water, just like a tea. Great description. And does it is it fair to say that tea is just much better for you than coffee, health-wise? I think it really depends in a way. Like everything on earth is natural and has some sort of benefit, right? It has some sort of benefit, even toxic things to a certain degree. And maybe this is my sports medicine side coming out. Like everything has a purpose, right? That's naturally provided for us on this wonderful planet. So to say that one thing is better than the other, it really has to do with how you're consuming it and how you're using it. So if you don't have a relationship with the intimacy of what you're consuming, it doesn't go both ways. It's not a sustainable relationship. So some people say coffee isn't as healthy as tea is. Well, most tea drinkers don't put a lot of added sugar or milk or anything like that in there. And for people who drink high quality teas. So if you're just a regular, you know, 
Starbucks coffee drinker that has mostly sugar in it, some milk, a little bit of espresso that's probably burnt charcoaly, you know, carcinogens are being introduced into it. And you're just drinking it because you need a pick me up. You're kind of not giving back to that relationship of what you're consuming. And then how do and then how do herbal teas fit into this whole equation? So herbal teas are like a whole nother beast because they all have different benefits because they're different plants. So herbal teas or tassons, as it's called in French, is anything that is not from the camellia sinensis plant. So it could be peppermint, chamomile, mm. hibiscus, chicory, um, licorice root, dandelion root, and technically rooibos and yerba mate. And you could possibly lump in coffee i mean i mean you know it's it's a different plant but um you know we don't want to get too lost in the terminology and and divide ourselves amongst these different categories what it is when you're looking at coffee herbals tea are different things that are grown naturally on our planet that we infuse in water and water is the life source that gives us sustainability truly because all of those things 99.9 percent .9 of them hopefully, if it's not super sugary or, you know, dairy <laughs> um, laden, <laughs> yeah. is yeah. it's mostly water, 99.9% yeah. .9 water. Now, are you sourcing all of those types of tea that we talked about for sipping streams? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. How, how, how exciting. Now, I, before we leave, you, you mentioned decaf and you mentioned, I think it was rooibos tea, the African tea that has no decaf, has no caffeine in it. And then you mentioned what, herba, herba, herba mate that has lots of caffeine. Lots in it. of caffeine. Yeah. If, you know, I'm, I'm a tea drinker and I like to drink decaffeinated tea. How did, I mean, is that, is that good for me? Is that bad for me? If I, if I'm buying a tea that normally ca has caffeine and then it, it goes through some process of decaffeinating. So you always want to know the, as much as you can about the plant, about the source, about the company, right? Cause that's how you're going to be able to develop a relationship if you trust that source, right? So that's why it's really important to know where the origin is. And if you don't know what the origin is, how much do you trust the company? Or for me, like the company owner, a lot of people love to talk to me because I can literally explain, you know, where our teas are from. So decaffeinated teas in general are not bad, but what was the quality of the tea to begin with? Is is it a high quality tea to start with? Because there's different methods of decaffeination and CO2 process is one of the safest ways. And usually the organic decaffeinated green teas or organic decaffeinated black teas will be a CO2 process. And what they have to do to the plant is they actually like have all the tea leaves, they've been dried, they go to this factory has gigantic CO2 chambers and they have to re-wet the leaves. So they actually steep the tea kind of a little bit again and pressurize and release CO2 into it. And then it, and it forces what the molecules um, on the polarity in it um, for the caffeine to come out. So when you think about that, it's no longer those as fresh in the chain right. of your tea then you definitely want to make sure you had the best quality tea leaves to begin with to be decaffeinated. But even decaffeination, it only means 2% or less of caffeine. It's not caffeine free. It's mm -hmm. just been mostly removed of caffeine. Do you sell decaffeinated teas? 
Yes. Yeah. We have an organic decaffeinated green tea and organic decaffeinated black tea, both from India, both with the CO2 process. Both and CO2 process. And most people are shocked how much flavor is in the tea. And that flavor is correlated with its original quality of the tea leaf. It's not cheap by any means because you started off with a high-end tea and you wanted, by the time it goes through that process, to have really good flavor still, to be able to be re-steeped multiple times, up to four times. And most high-quality teas, you can easily re-steep up to four times. So that's kind of the standard of our company, is that the quality stays consistent from cup to cup to cup, all using the same leaves. Yeah. So that's what re-steeping is. And what, what makes a good quality tea to begin with? So the good quality tea will... Um, be with the quality of the tea leaves, like from the picker, right? And so the if it's hand-picked, you're able to distinguish which are the best leaves on that bush, that tree, right? But then you also have like elevation. You have the environment of the terroir, the, the humidity coverage of that area. Because Tea plants like to be moist and supple, actually. Most people don't realize this. They think, oh, it's in a hot tropical place like India or Africa. It still needs to have some sort of humidity fog coverage over it because tea leaves just get browned and like burned. They can get sunburned too. Hmm. So the the best way to have the best tea leaves is having hand-picked tea and having the person pick the best tea off of that Yes, off of that tree. And then... And tree, how tall would that tree get, by the way? Is that is it a, a mature tea tree? Is it... You have to use oh, it could be ladder? like 100 meters tall. I mean, in Yunnan, people like lean a bamboo pole and shimmy oh. up it and they're in the trees picking it. Those are oh, wild really? tea trees. Oh, they're really? unquote unquote cultivated. They're allowed to just do whatever you yeah. know it wants to do. And then other places like in Africa or our tea farm here, I cannot climb up a tea tree every day. So I trim my tree down to right. be only about, I don't know, three and a half feet. I mean, cause I'm only four nine, so I am not going to climb up a tree. It's more manageable <laughs> if I trim them down. So um, they are trees, but they can be as short as you want them to be. Like kind of like a bonsai tree, trimming right. it and shaping it the way you want it to be. Now, uh, going back, you you touched on this, but during the pandemic, uh, obviously travel came to a grinding halt for all of us. Uh, and you had the idea, somehow you came up with this idea that you should grow your own tea in Alaska. And it's, uh, most people would say that Alaska is not a not particularly conducive to growing tea. Uh, <laughs> and you you partnered up with somebody you know at a hot springs and tell that tell that story of how that came about that you actually have a a geothermally heated a tree, a greenhouse that is growing tea in near Fairbanks, Alaska. Yeah. So I actually have a um, certified tea specialist program. So it's called the University. And I have students from all over the world who want to become certified tea specialists. And I had just canceled like our possibility of going to Kenya. Like people were wanting to leave me deposits because I was leaving tea tours. And I said, I think we just hold off. And I don't want to take any money. I don't know what's going on. This is kind of lingering way longer than usual. And then um, my students, I gifted them because we couldn't go to tea farms. So I ordered tea trees, like little 
seedlings, not seedlings, but you know, a year old. And I shipped them to everybody all over the world, no matter where they were, because teas grown all over the world. Even my students in the UK, there's places that are close to them that I could ship a tea plant to them. So I could talk about where we pick the different parts of the tree, what different, you know, flavors come out and such. So then my students started asking me, when are you going to start a tea farm? And I'm like, I'm not going to start a tea farm. That's crazy. I mean, my tea company is already a restaurant because we're Cantonese. So my parents used to own a restaurant when I was a kid. So it's like a tea house that has foods like Asian steamed dumplings and egg tarts and stuff. And it's a factory. So we blend and produce all these teas um, and, and package them and everything. And we sell them wholesale and retail. And, and we have a store. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do a tea farm. And so my husband, who knows, he probably knew he should ask me this because I'm extremely logical and I get straight to the point. He said, so what would it take? to start a tea farm because he knows I've been probably thinking about this for a long time just because it's very technical and I said the only place I can think about it growing sustainably in Alaska and sustainability is key because I wouldn't want a bunch of fossil fuels or wood burned to heat the environment for this tea farm would be actually here in Fairbanks out of the whole state it would be here in Fairbanks at Sheena Hot Springs Resort and so my husband said well then why don't you just ask Bernie and Bernie Carl owns Sheena Hot Springs Resort. He's a close friend of us, our bars. And um, my husband and him have been working together for over 10 years, um, volunteering for the, um, the World Ice Art Championships. So they're both like in a nonprofit and have worked together for so long. And he said, why don't you just ask him? He likes you. He sees how hard you work. Just ask him. And I said, he's not going to have time for me because he has a recycling center. He's all about sustainability, all about sustainability. Were you, were you asking, and, did he have, he had, he had extra greenhouse space? Well, I knew he had extra greenhouse space because when I was a high school teacher, I spent a week with my science students going to volunteer at one of the greenhouse spaces. And I knew how his business ran. And so I asked him and he said, okay, let's do it. By the time I got him on the phone, I was like, oh man, he answered it really fast. I guess I'm starting this greenhouse, like this tea farm. And so um, what people don't realize is like this, this hot springs is a low energy hot spring. So water comes out of the ground, just like hot spring, heats up the, the glycol and then and then it turns these turbines, just like a like a geothermal power plant, but it's a low um, energy one because these hot springs aren't super super hot. Um, and then the water goes back into the ground. So the electricity for this greenhouse for the grow lights is all off of the sustainable hot springs energy. The water because it's hot springs everywhere. It's water like the water comes out warm, <laughs> like watering the tea plants. Yeah. And then this tea um, this high tunnel greenhouse. It's a permanent structure, but it's actually in the ground because he specializes in hydroponics. So it's not one of his newer, fancier greenhouses. This is like his first original greenhouse that literally has tubes that go under the earth that heat up the soil so it doesn't freeze, which is what tea trees need. They don't like to sit in water. Trees don't like sitting in water. Maybe bamboo does for a little bit of time, but it's not good for a tree to be just sitting in water all the time. 
So this was literally the only greenhouse that I could think of that could grow in there. And I knew it was like one of his backup greenhouses. So I just asked him and he said, yeah. So I was just there recently um, creating a misting system because it's actually really dry here in Fairbanks, Alaska. And so, you know, like when you go to somewhere hot and they've got like, or the produce department is like misting the water at the produce to keep them supple. So we have pond foggers that we built to create the humidity in this giant high tunnel greenhouse. And then we have just built a misting system. So it has that imitation of fog and mist over the plants every day because nice. that's what and, they want. And how many how many trees do you have in there? We have about 50. Is that now? Is that enough to? That's not enough to to power your operation, is it? Or to provide? Oh no! Um, that would just be a small fraction of your the amount correct. of tea that you would grow. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, but if you had an acre, I mean, if you decide anyone decided to have an acre of tea plants, it makes some crazy number of dried tea, like six hundred kilos or something. It's something insane because. Every week when I go and I check on the plants and make sure everything's okay, I'm picking tea leaves. It's so sustainable because every time you pick the baby shoots, the best tea leaves, it grows more. So the more leaves you pick off of it, if it's the baby shoots, it, the more it will give. Yeah. And if you stop picking the tea leaves, it will actually grow flowers and put energy into its flowers to drop seeds. So we've had little babies grow there in the in the <laughs> greenhouse and made new little plants. Um, but it's constantly every week I'm picking more tea leaves. And if is, I just are had those, are, is that is that a special tea now on your website, you know, locally grown in Alaska? No, we actually just keep it for ourselves, like in the store, in the store, and yeah. then for special events, like when we celebrate agriculture in Alaska or something like that. We we are actually getting quite a bit. This is our third summer having this. So um, this is the most tea leaves it's ever produced in a short amount of time. So we're hoping, you know, in a couple more years, we said about five years, hopefully these, these trees will like thicken up. And then in terms of your sales, uh, how far and wide do your do your teas leave or how far, what is the diaspora of your sales, I guess? Oh, it's really funny because we get orders in China <laughs> of our tea, which is funny because tea comes from China. Um, we get orders in like Norway and in Germany, which uh, Germans are big tea drinkers. And also where we're at here in Fairbanks, Alaska, we're the dog mushing capital of the world. And with my relationship with the Yukon Quest dog sled race, which is a community nonprofit um, event that I had designed a special tea for the Yukon Quest dog sled race. So that's why we have all these Scandinavian people who are into dog mushing or dog sledding know about my tea. And so I get orders in Europe for that thousand mile tea. That is great. So now how let's, let's go all the way back. We we're talking about the world of tea you told me that you went to Boise State uh, and you were doing phys ed and you were, you were in elementary school education. Um, you've, you've become an award winner. You're a certified a tea specialist. You've won all these awards, these national awards for your, for your teas. How did that come? How did that come about? How, you, I, I, think you, I think I heard that your husband is a coffee drinker. You drank coffee when you were younger. Something happened there that, that, that came about that, you became this tea specialist extraordinaire. 
So yeah, I was drinking coffee since I was four, all the way through my last year of college. My last year of college, I was realizing my drink was like 528 a day or 526, something like that with the sales tax. I'm like, man, that's really expensive. That's like a whole meal. Um, I should pick the cheapest thing on the coffee shop menu. And that was tea. I'm like, okay, I'll drink tea. I mean, I didn't really grow up drinking tea. My grandparents drank tea. Well, they drink this weird thing in a, a clay pot, you know, in the Kung Fu Cha ceremony. I didn't know what it's called. Just like I didn't know what Tai Chi was. I'm like, it's that weird exercise thing grandma and grandpa do in the living room. <laughs> um, so my parents didn't drink tea. My, my dad was a coffee drinker and my mom would drink hot water. And so I started drinking tea and people would ask me all these questions, all these health benefit questions um, about tea, which I didn't know. They just figured because I was studying athletic training, which is sports medicine or physical education, like I was drinking tea because I knew all these things, but really I was just drinking it because it was budget friendly. So that's actually how it started was people would ask me questions and being, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, a teacher, you're always learning. You want to help people. So that's essentially how my tea journey started was I'd go and do research in different um medical publications and read case studies on tea and just like regurgitate that to my friends. Well, hopefully in a more easy, understandable way instead of all the technical stuff that was in there. But now, okay, so now you, you get turned on to tea. You're, you're off coffee because of the, 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 the finances of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, you're into tea, but how did you form the, the tea company? <laughs> So that was kind of strange. So this whole time I moved back to Alaska, I work in physical therapy and I'm still drinking tea. Like I have a job and everything, but I'm just drinking tea because I'm just learning about it. The more I drink, right, the more your palate develops. Mm. So I'm drinking Lipton tea bags in the clinic and people would say, oh, you're a tea drinker. And before I could even answer it, They'd say, oh, I used to drink tea down south with my great aunt Sue on the porch. And I used to make sun tea. You know what sun tea is? And they tell me their whole life story around tea. I never even got to answer that I wasn't really a tea drinker. But every time, all you had to do was have a styrofoam. Unfortunately, we only had styrofoam cups. Cup of hot water with a tea bag tag hanging out of it. People identified me as a tea drinker. I was automatically in this club of tea drinkers that I really knew nothing about. So I started learning about tea. Again, as I'm learning, I'm sharing with other people. I move into being a high school teacher. The high school wants me to actually design a semester long class on tea, an elective class on the history of tea, the benefits of tea or whatever. They just wanted me to make an elective class on tea. So that was like the hardest thing was trying to develop a whole semester long class on that with quizzes and tests and stuff. And um, it's because the parents had heard that I quote unquote knew a lot about tea. I didn't know that much about tea. I would just share with whatever I learned. And so um, later on during summer break, I decided to actually go to China and visit tea farms um, for the first time. and. I was nervous because I don't speak Mandarin. I only speak Cantonese and I can barely speak Cantonese. I mean, I can make it on the streets and order food, but I I do not speak any Mandarin at all. And it makes me very nervous. So I decided to challenge myself, my own personal development. Let's go to China by myself 
don't know anybody, hire a translator, visit tea farms. Let's see what this whole tea industry is about. And as I was about to get on the plane to go to China, the private school I taught at said I was no longer going to have a job because only five kids were coming back to the private school the next year mm. and they could not afford another teacher. So I got laid off. And when I sat in my airplane seat, I said, I guess I'm doing tea. And so you literally started buying tea and blending tea and packaging. Yeah. And I started at the farmer's market, the local farmer's market or something like that. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Started at the farmer's market, started selling it at a little um, seasonal touristy cabin, like a historic cabin, like anywhere I could sell it, anywhere I could teach about tea, started teaching about tea in people's homes, taught story. about tea at the university. So yeah. Let's, let's talk about the social benefits of tea. I know you've written about that. You've talked about that. Um, there was that great book, The Three Cups of Tea, that was written by Greg Mortensen. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. I've never honestly read the book. I have it on my bookshelf, you, but you've I've got never it. You, read well, the book. <laughs> yeah, it, I, think, I think it's a great book. And then a lot of it was debunked by John Krakauer, another author I respect a lot. Yeah. But, but nevertheless, the point of the, of the title is that Three Cups of Tea, you know that your family, if somebody invites you into their house, and you not just have one cup of tea, and not just two, but if you if you're if you're at at the third cup level, then you're really close in. And uh, you you have the same sort of philosophy, I think, about tea that there's something very bonding about it. Uh, is that right? Oh yeah, I mean that's how I got into tea. Was like like the universe was pushing me into this thing like I didn't know like I never wanted to be an entrepreneur I mean I didn't study business and and so it was like the more that I saw people um react to me drinking tea and what they would disclose to me which is shocking I mean not anything bad but just so intimate about mm -hmm. their history who they are as a person I was like whoa there's something that's way different than you see in the coffee industry, you don't go sit in a coffee shop and someone just wants to open up about their whole life story to you. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. But in tea, the culture of tea, sharing tea has such this community aspect of intimacy, like it's community, but with intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was saying. It's like it, it's like what you're drinking. You learn about what you're drinking, where it's from, what it takes. But if you don't get into that technical deep part of it, it's how tea has transformed someone else's life through health benefits or through their interpersonal relationships with family members, different generations, different races and cultures. Tea is the number one most consumed beverage in the world next to water. Next to water for like millennia now, you know, over 4,000 years. So there's something very powerful about this plant. And even just the way that it helps you balance, it's got caffeine in it, but it also has L-theanine that calms and relaxes your body, this whole yin-yang approach. And when you think about the, the philosophies and the religions like Taoism and Buddhism, that are around at the same time as tea and how they use tea as a ritual for their practice of calm meditation. They're not wired. Calm meditation, but like awakening in their mind. You know, three cups of tea is just a start. But when you get to seven cups of tea, it transforms you from the inside out. 
How great to talk to you this afternoon. I really, I really appreciate it, Jenny. Thank, thanks so much for your insights and your time. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I'm going to go to your website and buy some of your tea. What is, what is your website? Oh, my website is sippingstreams.com. Thanks so much. Great to meet you. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.